welcome to Bury Our Bones With, the podcast that shows what men can do when they have too much time on their hands, needlessly obsessing over movies and TV in a way that no one really needs. I'm Ryan Etherington, and as always, I'm joined by the ghost face to my why are you pulling that face, the wonderful Jimmy Murphy. In today's episode, we prepare the landline for any late night calls, get the popcorn on the stove, and think about what our favourite scary movie is. That's right. Join us as we bury our bones with Scream. Tyler Durden's Underground Arts and Crafts Club. Meet up with like-minded people just like you. Learn craft skills like soap making, electronics and leafleting. The Tyler Durden Underground Arts and Crafts Club, coming to a car park near you. Terms and conditions will apply. So, Scream. (laughs) (laughs) So, personally, for me, I think this may have been, I can't say for definite, but it's one of the first horror movies i saw and so i didn't i didn't really know any of the tropes i didn't right, yeah. and so i just accepted it for what it was as opposed to oh that's a little nod there that's a little nod here yeah, rather than the meta experience yeah. yeah and obviously it got me it was like a gateway drug the gateway <laughs> the gateway into more horror yeah. and obviously the more you look into it the more interested it became, and before you know it, I'm going, <laughs> I get that reference. So how was it um, coming back to it years later after you after you now know the tropes, you understand the, the little in-jokes and the stuff they're setting up, and that, does, it, does it enhance it, or is, it, is the ship already sailed at that point? I think it enhances it, but one thing that really distracts you is if you've seen scary movie it's very difficult to not think that's the movie and so i'm waiting for are they oh no that doesn't happen in this because that's in scary movie (laughs) i literally wrote down in my notes i was watching it yesterday it's impossible to separate the two scary movie did such a good job of sending they even say in one point the scary movie. I feel like I've seen this before. He's like, it, not, like the exact dialogue, the accent. It was in a film called Scream. Like they lit, and it's it's picked out so well. I can't separate the two. When I was watching it yesterday, same problem you're having, laughing at things that aren't funny because you're, you're thinking about a joke from a different film. Um, so it is it is intertwined inexplicably with its own spoof. It's as much as. It's a much a part of Scary Movie's legacy as Scary Movie is of of Screams. And as you say, it's really intricately... It's not just a spoof or a parody. It's actually like, oh, no, it's literally shot for shot almost the same thing. Certain parts of it are dialogue, scenes, uh, the, the, the... professional outfit Jim <laughs> locations <laughs> that's what we call tension 
quite fitting. <laughs> right, uh, yeah, dialogue, scenes, locations, it's spot on. It's exactly, literally lifted from Scream. And it is so weird when you're watching Scream, like you say, waiting for the joke. But it, Scream has what I assume are comedy moments in it. Like, it, it's again, like you say, it's hard to separate the two. But Scream lend it, lent itself so well to the spoof because there is comical moments in there, whether they're intentional or not. Like, the ghost face killer is kind of comical, the way he moves. And uh, towards the end of the film with the, I'm getting woozy. <laughs> yeah, it, da- it dances that that very fine line of being almost a parody of itself mm. and actually, oh no, this is just, there are elements of humour in there. Like, it's very, it's all, certain points where I'm like, ah, oh, that's almost too much. Like, mm. to be honest, I think Dewey's character, you take him out of it mm. and it's arguably, I wouldn't say a better movie, but it's arguably the same movie. Again, I find it impossible to separate Dewey from Doofy. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a little too... I I know what you mean. It's a little bit too much. It's a little too on the nose. But, I mean, you have to think about, like, the landscape of what horror movies were around. Was this... It came out, what, December 96? Yeah, December 16th, 1996. Sorry, 20th of December 1996. So it's probably 97 in the UK, I would have thought unless it was worldwide released on the same day. But either way, so you're talking Silence of the Lambs was about, what, 91, 92, yeah, yeah. something like that. So you would have had about five years of those tense psychological thrillers with horror elements mm. in. That would have been your landscape of horror. That and, like, slasher movie tropes. It would have already run their course and had just been cliched at that point. And then Craven, but I remember when it came out, they're saying he made horror uh, date movies. Horror movies were always date movies, and that was Craven's taking it back to its origins. And I think that's where those little elements of humour and little bits that they throw in here and there um, make it work so well. It's, it's speaking to a younger audience. It's not a bunch of neckbeards rubbing their chins at the tense psychological pressure as the, as the game is afoot. It's not that movie. It, the, it's the movie of here's some pretty here's some thirty year old people pretending to be teenagers, which is standard for around this time in Hollywood, isn't it? But here's some pretty people. Um, terrible things are going to happen, you know. And it's and it's it's highly entertaining. I remember when it came out, I wasn't that wasn't that interested. Every it was huge. It was everywhere. Everybody was talking about it for a long time. And it's really hard. Now, like as we're saying, to separate it from Scary Movie in my mind because Scary Movie is like two thousand and one, two thousand, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a good four or five years. So by the time Scary Movie comes out, you've had the first Scream, probably the second Scream. Yeah, Scream Two was ninety seven, ninety eight. I think you might have even had all of them, all of the first trilogy. I think Scream 3 was 99. Really? So... So they really didn't hang about. And to be fair, probably by the time Scary Movie come out, people were probably getting a little bit tired of Scream. It was probably getting... The, the, you know. The trope of Scream was wearing thin. So you'd have had... Because in Scary Movie... I mean, we spent spend a whole podcast talking about Scary, scary movie, movie if we're not careful. But you would have had all of those... I know what you did last summer, because that's in... It's referenced. Yeah. Blair Witch is yeah. referenced, which is 
1999, I think, Blair, which was yeah. 1999. Um, so, yeah, all of that's thrown in. But it did. It literally changed the landscape of horror for a good five, six years. Maybe beyond that when you, you get to, like, the final destinations and stuff. But it was a huge deal when it came out. It was one of those films where it kind of... Obviously, I was only four at the time, so I can't remember the marketing. <laughs> but I, it would have appeared as though, it, oh, it's just another slasher movie. It's, you know, it it may not necessarily have, have shown what it actually is by the time when you're watching it. It starts off like your traditional-ish It really it slasher starts movie. straight away, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but very soon on you're going well hang on a minute this it knows what it is it mm. tells you what it's going to do and then says why it's going to do it it's from not... the moment from the opening scene with Drew Barrymore straight away yeah. to like movies which is your favourite movies oh that's uh, that's it's the mother not Jason it's, it's literally yeah. laying it all out in front of you but I seem to recall like I said I wasn't paying a huge amount of attention I would have been 16 probably when it came out um Everyone knew what it was. The, the marketing machine behind screen was huge. It was, it was, he's self-referential. Um, his love letter to horror movies, as much as it is like a critique of Hollywood, but it was like, oh, he subverted the genre. The people in this movie have seen horror movies because that's like a well-known thing in it. Yeah. Like. You talk about people in horror movies, it's like they've never seen a horror movie. Why are you... And she even says, I think, uh, Neve Campbell, Nev Campbell, her character says when she's on the phone to Ghostface the first time, I find them insulting. Someone's always running up the stairs when they should be running out the door just before she runs up the stairs, which is interesting. But with that scene, what I like about that is she runs up the stairs but there's a valid reason for it because mm. she's locked the door he's there she can't get it open before and then he he comes at her and then he's in the way so immediately yeah, it she's takes... got the internet up there as well which would have been not, not necessarily new but, but you know modern t- yeah <laughs> it would have been on you know probably at that point where not not everybody had seen it, yeah. you know. And she types in uh, white girl in trouble, I believe, as she into the internet and the police <laughs> turn up. Or is that that's, in... That's a scary yeah, movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, you know, as I say, it tells you what it's going to do and then does it. Mm. And so, it know, as I say, it kind of knows what it is. Mm. And I think, you know, the landscape at the time, as you say, everybody was kind of a bit done with slasher movies and there probably were ones before this in the 90s but not to the same degree of success yeah it was huge it made it made horror bankable again yeah well speaking on that 15 sorry 14 million dollar budget uh which is in today's money about 21 million quid it made Six and a half, nearly, million dollars in its opening weekend. So immediately on the first weekend, you've made almost half your budget back. Gross, in terms of US and Canada, $103 million. And then worldwide, $173 million, which again, in today's money, is about 261 million quid. That's not bad. So for a $14 million budget and a horror movie, Mm -hmm. which horror movies weren't always bankable no. as you say you'd have you've had you'd have outliers you'd have your silence of the lambs 
films like that. But generally, horror, I mean, horror's always had a problem getting respect within the movie industry. It's always sort of like the lesser cousin to more cerebral movies, I suppose, because the, the, the very nature, they're usually quite gory. It, sometimes it's seen as like cheap entertainment. It's that jump scare. Oh, that's just lazy. It's easy. But to do it well is neither lazy or easy to do a good horror movie. So it's always, it'll come up and down. They'll have peaks and troughs. And it was, I think it's fair to say, you know, Science of Lambs was a peak. Then it, it was back in a trough. And then Scream came along and you had easily five, six years of, I won't say cookie cutter, but Hollywood doing what Hollywood does where it orders 700 more of the same thing, you know. Um, it, and it's, it's, it's felt today. Like the things you see horror movies doing today it feels like a direct line back to scream in most of the cases you know and i think probably one of the things that horror films has always been quite good at is they've always been generally speaking a low budget affair so a high budget horror movie is usually a low budget action movie or drama or whatever so that's kind of always been its saving grace but it's but they've never really you know without looking into the numbers They've never really become, apart from the odd few, you know, mainstream. But as I say, from from a fourteen million dollar budget, one hundred and seventy three million dollars. Mm. That's you got to think as well. All of those, all of those movies would be considered low budget, cheap. Uh, you know, the the ones what they video nasties they used to call them in this country when VHS first came out. Think about the the way they would have pushed. Um, the technology around special effects to get the things they want. It's, it never gets any credit for that either. You know, your, your um, Stanley Kubrick's your 2001 Star Wars, all that. That's, oh, look at the special effects here. Da, da, da. You, know, you don't often hear people talking about the special effects wizardry in horror movies, especially uh, pre-CGI, where these things had to be worked out and done in real time, you know, and it's... It's a shame. It's it's just one of those things. Horror movies are always seen as a lesser art form. You get similar things in music, in it like so. I guess the musical equivalent of horror movies would be like heavy metal music, always seen as a lesser form of mu of music of an art form, you know. But so this this is one of those movies that broke through that ceiling, broke through that glass ceiling, and went mainstream. Part part of that, I think, is probably because the story is is about as simple as it gets. It doesn't doesn't need to be anything more than than what it is, you know. It doesn't need to have any additional layers like a silence of the lambs or anything more cerebral. Mm. It's just we follow Sydney Prescott dealing with the fact her mum was murdered. Mm. Well that's then, that's eked out at the beginning of the film. You know there's something cuz there's lots of oh this is the worst thing to happen since uh well, never mind, Sydney. You know what I'm talking about. There's all that sort of stuff going on at first. As they they tease out the, it's a little puzzle. Yeah, what's enough, happened here? Enough you know? bait, play, yeah. you know, played out to us. But as you say, that opening, that opening sequence, that's as much is as much a film as the rest of the, the movie. Mm. You can take that five, ten, maybe you know, however many minutes that is. Mm, that's its own movie in itself. Mm, that iconic. follows the tropes of horror movies in the sense of, you know, we think about those old-fashioned monster movies where they spend, you know, Halloween is a good example. Even mm. that's not a monster movie, but 
we spend 30, 40 minutes not really seeing the killer. We see glimpses, we see bits and bobs. Mm. For the first three or four minutes of that sequence, we don't see him, we only hear him. Mm. And then even when we do see him, it's fleeting glances, yeah. fleeting bits and bobs, and then he's there and then it's pow, straight yeah. away, we're now into the action. Well, it's, got that, it's got that great thing that, that really good horror movies do, so that's, that sense of um, vulnerability is played out. Now, opening scene is fantastic, like you say, like it starts straight away. Um, as I recall, I think True Barrymore, I would say she begged to play that role, but she she was really, really like forthcoming in wanting to be in the movie in that scene. And it's that whole, I want to know, what's your name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Excuse me, what'd she say? I just want to know who I'm talking to. Yeah. And it's just like that sense of vulnerability that you're exposed. The house is just all glass windows. Every corner of that house, every wall, seems to have huge glass windows so that you're aware there's someone out there looking in and you're exposed, you're vulnerable. And as the scene plays out, obviously it ramps up and ramps up and gets higher. And then her parents come home and they hear her on the phone. And it's just this, this sense of hopeless vulnerability played out all within those first 10 minutes while setting out the stock for the film. Here's the film. We're going to reference horror movies that you know, you've heard of, you've seen, you know the tropes. We're going to talk you through them whilst doing them. You know what I mean? Like, like as you unpick the movies. It's amazing. It like sets the whole thing up. And it also says, as it's doing that you're going to like it as well. Yeah, yeah you're in you for know, some entertainment now. You, you, yeah, yeah, as yeah. I say, it's almost saying to those people who do look down at horror, you're going to be going, you may look down at this, but you're enjoying it. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's... Yeah. You it's, show me what's a, what's a lower art form now, because this is entertainment at its best. Yeah. And, and it's gruesome as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't really lie with 173 million. No. You know, no. which... It's not to be sniffed at at all. So just for for the, some of the viewers who perhaps haven't seen the film, uh, in which case, why? Go and watch yeah, it. Yeah, spoilers ahead. <laughs> uh, but essentially, we follow Sydney Prescott. And uh, as we've referenced, about a year ago, her mum was murdered. And we follow her struggle with dealing with that in the same town as there seems to be a, uh, a shrouded figure of secrecy killing off young teens. Uh, and that's about it. I think that's what I mean by it. Simple. doesn't need to be anything more than yeah, that. It, and within that, it still has the same horror movie tropes. The the end girl stroke virgin, the, the, the whore, the jock. The, the, it's got all of those characters and they're all set out and it, it's ready to be knocked down in familiar ways. Um, they also introduce, they have... Um, forget his name, the nerd character who works in the video shop who explains a lot of it um, for the audience at home. Yeah. Here's what we're going to see yeah, next. Yeah, so Randy know. played by Jamie Kennedy. That's right, Randy. Yeah, yeah. So you've got all of your... He's like your nerd who's in love with the main girl who's going to be the end girl. And then I think at one point they're talking about Jamie Lee Curtis regularly throughout the film. I think they're watching Halloween, aren't they? Yeah, they're yeah. Probably, and they're, they're talking about, oh, she she's the end girl. You know, you can't have sex, you're going to die. I'll be right back. All of those things. All of the things which I think at that point, people were kind of getting a bit tired of. Mm. People were kind of saying, oh, God, here we go again. But actually, it's going, yeah, we know. We know what we're doing. Mm. But we, 
we're going to just flip it slightly mm. so that you either go, oh, well, that, it makes sense in that context, or yeah. you go, oh, I didn't see that it's, coming. It's you, the audience, know this, and for the first time ever, the characters know this. It's never, it sounds so simple and um, obvious because it's now been done a million times, but it had never been done before as far as I'm aware, at least not in a, in a mainstream Hollywood movie. He said, well, the characters are aware of all of the things you're aware. They're aware of how ridiculous this is, how unlikely this is, and how, you know, all that stuff. But we're still going to go through it. We're going to go through those same motions. But it's going to, like you say, it's going to be entertaining. And I don't think it's any surprise that this worked because it's directed by Wes Craven, who, if you haven't heard of Wes Craven, you might be listening to the wrong podcast because <laughs> he's... I don't want to say the godfather of horror, but he's certainly on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, films like Last House on the Left, Hills Have Eyes, and of course, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, but there's a little nod to old Freddy in this that I could have yeah, lived without, so to be honest. <laughs> whilst I haven't got the exact timing, but there's a scene with, uh, with Henry Wrinkler where he's being kind of stalked and he's just trying to find where he's being stalked from. And he goes and says hello to Fred the janitor, which... You may think, oh, he looks strikingly similar to Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's nodding to that, but that's also Wes Craven himself. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't resist it. It's that so again, but in a film about self-reference, why not? You know, it totally works. It doesn't need to. It doesn't. Again, it's those little comedy moments that he drops in. That's a moment in the middle of a tense moment. He's, you know, he's. The Fonz is about to get it. You know what I mean? It's all building up that way. They've they've made you go, oh, is it the Fonz? Is he the killer? And they're like, you know he's about to get um come to a sticky end. And then right in the middle of that, it's a little Freddy Krueger joke, just to make you go, <laughs> and then back to the tension, which is amazing. Really. Almost makes you kind of forget the situation he's in, so it kind of goes, oh, okay, he's tension, all right. Yeah. He's, oh, no. Spoiler, he then gets, you know, gets sliced and diced. Do you see, I can't remember, I only watched it yesterday, did you yeah. see him get sliced and diced? Yeah, you do. Cause they say he turns up on the, um, the football pitch later on, the yeah, yeah. hanging and his guts you, out. You see, you see him get stabbed a couple of times, because mm. it also happens to be the most ridiculous kill scene in the movie. It's, it's, it's dialed up. garage door. <laughs> that, that's slightly inventive. It's, there's an element of kind of that's pretty cool. I find that whole but in scene. I'm, I'm talking in terms of pure acting ability. It's like he's dialed it up to a hundred and then gone. I can do more. Here. <laughs> it's you know, it's almost yeah. It's almost a bit too much. But I think it works because it's Henry Wrinkler. Mm. Is it Wrinkler or Winkler? Winkler. Winkler. Mm. I always call him Wrinkler. There the Fonz. <laughs> he's but, always Fonzie to me. Yeah, so as I say, no surprise with Wes Craven at the at the helm. Yeah, that. But I also think a, a, a nod needs to be made to the the writing, which is Kevin Williams uh, Williamson's script. Right. On. Uh, little known fact: so he submitted it to, however you submit scripts in Hollywood on the Friday. By Monday, it was in a very fierce bidding war. Wow. People were bidding and going, "I want that! I want that!" And eventually it came to Wes Craven's door, which I think mm. was a very smart move by whoever said, yeah, that, that's the way yeah. to go. Yeah, like you say, Craven's uh, horror pedigree. Like, if you if you wrote a horror film and someone said to you, oh, Wes Craven? I mean, obviously not now, but Wes Craven's interested in making your movie. I mean, you couldn't ask 
for much more. You know, it's not very many. What, Toby Hooper, you know what I mean? Yeah, and again, even if it were, if it was just a straightforward standard horror film that would have been a good shot mm. but because of how self-referential it is it's almost like well he's going to know what to reference because he's the person you're referencing <laughs> you know it's yeah. almost yeah. it's a dream come true surely for yeah. kevin williamson must be it was also produced by uh co-produced by kathy conrad and carrie Wh uh, carrie woods uh and Kathy Conrad herself has worked on Copland, film with Sly Stallone and Robert De Niro, Girl Interrupted, another good 90s film, and uh, the Joaquin Phoenix Johnny Cash biopic Walk the Line. Mm. Uh, it's not to say, I think most people who've worked on Scream, looking through their success stories, Scream seems to be the highest grossing film for a lot of them, but, but Kathy Conrad worked on Night and Day, which is a long forgotten about. I don't think I've seen it. It's a Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz film. Making. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen it, and I never want to. It's slap That's bang like in the mid, middle of mid noughties kind of era, right? Yeah. It's so. Yeah. It's whilst I've not seen it, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Not that I've actively avoided it, but just because it's, you know. Yeah. It's not Mission Impossible or, or anything else more important. I think I think the first Mission Impossible came out the same year as this, didn't it? I think it's 96. Certainly in, the, in uh, that time frame. Talking of long-running franchises. Yeah. yeah. And then Carrie Woods, who also produced it, worked on things such as So I Married an Ex-Murderer, uh, Swingers, Vince Vaughn. And, see, so I Married an Ex-Murderer is also somewhat self-referential when you think about it. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I don't and think I it's, it's a comedy with Mike Myers. Yeah. But I'm sure there's there's a lot of sort of like hamming up to tropes in that, um, in a completely different way, of course. Yeah, Carrie Woods also worked on Swingers and uh, Godzilla as well. Which Godzilla? The 98, uh, I want to say flop, but... I think it was 379 quite million. It was quite successful. It was successful, but awful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, that's, that's why you think it wasn't like, that's why you think of it as a flop because it was a terrible film. Mm, yeah. It's difficult because you sometimes, you, you know, particularly Hollywood, they tend to focus on the numbers. Mm. So whilst. Well, Scream made a fair fair few bob, doesn't mean it's good. It's good because it's good. Mm. It's not the money that makes it good. Yeah. And then we've got the uh, composer, which I think, whilst it doesn't have necessarily a theme where you can hum along to it or anything where you can really remember when you're not watching it, but I think I think a large proportion of, or certainly a, a hand needs to go to Marco Beltrami mm. for his score, because I think it does complement everything quite nicely as yeah. i say it's nothing standout it's not stuff you're going to necessarily remember but it has that kind of it has that feel where again it it's not taking itself too seriously you know not that you ever would but if you put say like a hand zimmer type music score on it you know it'd be like yeah. what you know well, i'm i mean we're probably slightly different from your average um movie going audience but i was very aware of the score when I was watching it yesterday, and it's fantastic. It's an amazing... And uh, his use of songs throughout the film, 
like a, I think um, Sydney's boyfriend has his own theme tune in uh, Right Red Hand, seems to play ubiquitously throughout the movie. Um, and it's exactly the right time. He'll drop these little little bits in of music, but the, the score itself is phenomenal. It works so well within the movie. Um, but again, there's, 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 there's those things necessarily with the with the score but what i was saying where he keeps dropping uh uh is it right red hand by nick uh cave yeah and it's that it's that thing where he's setting up the tropes of like he's trying to he, literally they spend the entire film telling you it's her boyfriend but you're so used to the 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 red herring being set up within the movies where you're like is it though and throughout the film they're constantly like oh it's definitely him you know and then the the fake death scene towards the end and it's, it builds up so superbly but i feel like like the the score but particularly his use of 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 songs throughout the movie to set you down a path but again because we're, he's subverting the, the the genre you're like well i'm sure it's him and that's the other thing as i watched it yesterday it's as, as well as it's impossible to separate from scary movie it's impossible to watch not now you know how how it plays out. I can't remember how I felt the first time I saw it. I can't remember if I was thinking, oh, I, want, I mean, you, I must be sitting there going, I wonder who it is. So you're following those little paths. Is it the Fonz? Is it the boyfriend? Is it her dad? You know what I mean? Because do, he does that thing where he sprinkles a little bit of suspicion on her father and then doesn't mention it much. And that's usually in horror movies who it turns out to be because it's the person you forgot about who you saw at a certain point. Oh, I forgot it could be him or her. Um, so he sets up all of those and then drops in little little accents and, and theme tunes to push you down these paths, you know. That's part of the beauty, I think, of it is that you could pretty much make a case for vast majority of particularly the male characters. There's argue, you know, there's argument that well, it could be that person. It could be that you know, nobody is necessarily, you know, cleared. Every everybody is kind of a suspect, mm. but not done in a way where it's like, you know, it's not. It doesn't. I suppose it is an element of mystery, but it doesn't become like a a mystery in terms of trying to work out who the killer is, and everybody's got these motives. It just kind of says, could be, could be, mm. could be. Deal with what deal with the information as it had. And yeah. you mentioned Red Right Hand by Nick Cave. Uh, just for those who perhaps don't recognise the name, it's probably more commonly associated now with Peaky Blinders. It's the theme tune to Peaky Blinders. Mm. And that again brilliantly dances that kind of that fine line between being quite eerie and a little bit odd and a little bit mm. creepy with being quite humorous as well. There's an element of kind of jovialness to it which again is is mirrored throughout the whole film where it doesn't take itself too seriously i think if it did you would probably look at it and go it's just ridiculous Mm. well again it's that whole like you're saying it could be this person it could be that person i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna lay these seeds but i'm not gonna waste too much time trying to convince you of it because we all know what we're doing here like not only are we referencing it through the movie but you know these threads we don't have to over over labor any of it 
and just drops those, like you say, a little bit of sinister music, a little bit of sinister characterization. It's great stuff. I mean, Skeet Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich, yeah. Not a great actor. <laughs> Quite distracting throughout the movie. Poundland Johnny Depp. Um, do you know what I mean? And that's generous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On sale at Poundland. <laughs> Something you get free when you buy this item. Um, not a great actor. Quite, it is quite distracting. But it it still kind of works. He can throw a pretty good psycho look. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like at just the right... I say just the right time. It's edited that way. But at just the right time, he knew... <laughs> Meanwhile, there's seven hours of footage that nobody's seen. Of, going. <laughs> just going, Is this, am I doing it right? <laughs> just smiling dumbly yeah. at the camera. Apparently, but yeah, he does throw a good, well. sinister, smouldering, oh, psycho look. Like He does that very well, but not much else, to be honest. You know? Yeah, and I think it's probably a good time to kind of go through the the characters. Mm. So, as we mentioned earlier, we've got Drew Barrymore uh, playing the role of Casey, and I think it's a I think it was a shrewd move having somebody who wasn't necessarily a bankable star or someone, but certainly had a bit of clout. Uh, I don't think her career done, was was doing. I wouldn't say it wasn't doing well, but she was in the realm of straight to video as it would yeah. have been then, I suppose. But certainly a name where you'd go, oh, it's got, it's got, it's got such and such in, yeah. yeah. And actually... Yeah, she's probably movie. the only... She's probably one... Yeah, the only known actor other than the Fonz And he And point. he went uncredited as well. For Is this. that right? Yeah, for that reason, because he knew if he if his name's on it, mm. it detracts from all, everybody else. And so, oh, do you want to go and see that film with the Fonz in? You know, <laughs> yeah. not that anybody no said that. No would be the answer. But... <laughs> But that's really. that's yeah. essentially what it becomes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Drew Barrymore had a had a not necessarily, as I say, you know, she wasn't going to sell the movie. But you'd gone, oh, it's got that, it's got her from ET and from Firestarter, you know. Uh, and so again, bold choice to very quickly go, yeah, she's gone now, she's dead. Do you think you know, that's spoiler. almost a homage to the the Hitchcockian psycho killing Janet Lee, who was a huge star? when she made Psycho and never worked again after Psycho <laughs> because it weirdly had this inverse effect. She was the star and um, they made Psycho. She's in the first 20 minutes or something. It's film is about her. And then he kills her in the shower quite famously. Um, ruined her career, apparently. She became, she went from being a huge star to disposable. It had, it had such a big impact, that movie. And not in a good way for her. And I wonder if that's... I mean, obviously, it's had the complete opposite effect for Drew Barrymore because she went on to make a lot more movies after that, you know, Charlie's Angels and so on. And, but um, I wonder if that's the homage. Here's the name that you recognise and she's going to be dead in 10 minutes, you know. You know. I think you're probably right. It's a reference I didn't necessarily get. And I think, again, there's so many references mm. that, again, I think the only films that really kind of do that now are the, you know, the big budget Marvel films, but that's almost a step too far whereby you can't necessarily enjoy it because you're going, oh, you know that thing that happened right at the start that nobody gives a shit about? Oh, yeah, yeah, well, that means this, and what does that mean for the rest of the film? Whereas this kind of goes, oh, yeah, it's a little thing, if you know. If yeah. you know, you know, but it's not, it's not going to ruin your enjoyment. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, we've also got Neve, I think is how you pronounce it. Is it Neve? Uh, Nev, Nev, Neve or Neve? Campbell, no, uh, Campbell uh, who plays the titular, well, titular character. Yeah. It's not the titular character because she's not in the title. Uh, but she plays Sid- yeah. Sidney Prescott, uh, who is the... Was this, you know, a, this was a breakout movie, if not her first one. It was the, the movie that made her a star, wasn't it? I th- well, the same year she had The Craft... So the craft right. is probably the thing that put her in the public eye. Right, yeah, because I was like, I assume it was a hit. The craft. I don't know. Uh, we still people still it, talk about it now. Yeah, but I don't know whether that's cult classic the, or big seller. You know. Yeah, not to the same extent as Scream was, but it it wasn't. Again, it wasn't a flop. I think people liked it, mm. and I think now it's kind of got that more of a cult following. Uh, but yeah, still relatively new. So you've got one film behind you, but that's not enough to say we're going to put this on you. Mm. So uh, we've got Skeet Ulrich, as we mentioned earlier, playing uh, Billy uh, and playing is a, <laughs> is a loose term there. Perhaps the... Playing at playing Billy. <laughs> perhaps the biggest star in the film that's, that's kind of credited is Courtney Cox playing Courtney Gail Cox, Weathers. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. She would have been... 96, that would have been peak... Yeah, so that's well, two, friends, actually, two years suppose, into Friends, so not quite at its heights, but mm. certainly on its way there. I would, certainly I, had it again. Even before Friends, you know, she's worked on He-Man and mm. a couple of other films, which, again, doesn't, didn't put her in that kind of bankable star, but people were aware stuff, of her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got to say, she's excellent in this movie. I was watching it yesterday, I've forgotten how good she is in this movie, because I watch it, I don't see Monica. I'm not looking at Monica from Friends pretending to be a reporter. She plays that ruthless journalist character so well. Which is is kind of a testament to her ability at the time because Mm. everything else I've seen her in, even the following, maybe not two, certainly from three onwards... It's it's Monica in a different situation, not in terms of the character, but in terms of the the way it's kind of played almost. Interesting. I've f- never noticed it. I mean, the, the Scream sequels, notwithstanding, they get more and more self-referential as they go along until they disappear out their own ass. quite. You know what I mean? Like Scream one, 4, they, is we're it looking 3 at you. they go to Hollywood? Scream 2 is, is when two Stab in comes Hollywood? out in yeah. the... In the, in the <laughs> I mean, fair play to him. I can see why they did it. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think she's great in this movie. I really do. I'm not, to be fair, I'm trying to think what else I've seen her in other than Friends and Scream. But if she, I've, she, she's capable of playing this character that well. It does make me wonder what else she was capable of that just never materialised, you know. Yeah, it's almost people didn't want to take the chance because people are going to associate her with her biggest role in obviously being Monica from Friends. So, mm. yeah, I think I think what's good about it is that there's there's not enough of her in there for you to get to a point where you're going... Where you get tired. Yeah, it, you're yeah. starting to see through things. She's, mm. she, she's as much a supporting player who's just kind of there in the, in the kind of background. Mm. Uh, and then we move on to Matthew Lillard playing Stuart, who I've got to say, love Matthew Lillard. I think given a little bit of a better agent and a bit more kind of focus, he could he could be not at the same level, but certainly be 
you know, not too far behind a Jim Carrey. Right. I think he's he's like almost uh, Jim Carrey's like, you know, if you've given somebody a few too many drugs mm. and watch them go. Whereas Matthew Lillard is like just at the right amount. He's just got he's got on the, Red Bull. Yeah, he's got that <laughs> element of energy where you can see ah oh, he's on set. He's mm. he's. Not the lot. Well, I suppose yeah, the life of the screen. Yeah, but it's not to a point where it's like you see nothing else. He does spend a lot of this movie sticking his tongue out though. But again, a bit, little bit of better direction and a bit more. <laughs> a little bit too much for me. I, th- I, th- I think I've just got a soft spot for him, yeah. and I don't really know why, other than I think I just I'm drawn to him in a way. Do you think um, maybe it was when you first saw the movie, like there's you do something about you about that character you were drawn to and now you're still like I fucking love that character I don't think it was because I remember a couple of years ago returning to Scream for for the first time in ages and Mm. totally forgetting he was in it just totally almost being like oh yeah Mm. it's got Shaggy in it you know Uh, which to be fair is probably what he's going to be most remembered for And and looking at his IMDB listings He's played Scooby an awful lot, not just the the films. He's voiced him countless amount Shaggy. of times, you know. So fair play to him. Mm. But as I say, I think he's great here. And I, I find th- him a little over the top. I do. I, I, I can I, see I, see why why that is, because it is a very much uh he, you know he's on the he's on the screen now. You know he's on the screen, but I th- I think he has. There's moments where it's it's spot on, where he you you know you think of the character that he's playing is that teenage. You know, he looks about forty. <laughs> he's playing a teenage, full of hormones and bravado, and that sort of I'm a bit crazy kind of. We all know people like that when we went to school. So he's playing that character. And for the most part, he is great. There is just there is moments, as we were saying earlier, the dribbling at the end. <laughs> My mom's going to be so mad at me. That makes me laugh every time. But just before that, there's a lot of dribbling going on, isn't there, you know? I think it's a case of, with a little bit, if he'd made a few better choices, shall we say, mm. and with a better director for most of his career, mm. people knowing what to do with him, I think he could be, in, as I say, in that Jim Carrey. Not, not that I'm saying he's got those kind of improv and that those kind of chops, but certainly in that kind of thing where he's, he's again, he kind of does this Scooby Doo, not a lot else. Uh, no, I, I mean, can't think of much I've seen him in. For fans of the uh, channel, uh, for the show The Good Wife, he's he's a, kind of a recurring character in that for I think five or six episodes, and it's great because it, it's dialed down where he's he plays a he plays a music producer and uh, recording artist who ends up going to court for numerous reasons, but he plays that kind of uh, he's a, he's a bit of a goofball, bit of an idiot, but it's not sticking your tongue out and going over the top. (laughs) Because, again, I think in that, they've had the direction to go, this isn't that, we don't need that in this. Mm. And I don't know if enough people have had the the intelligence to say to him when they're on set, we don't need that, we need need dial it down a bit, and that's what we want. Mm. You know, I think he's almost like a, you know, a drawstring toy, you know, pull the string, let him go. It's kind of been the approach. Mm. 
Yeah, I can only imagine um, Craven. That is what Craven wanted for the role, and it makes sense. Like you said, it's just a it's just a few moments where it's that whole just dial it back, just dial it, do have another go at that, little less. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. reduce. But it's on the whole, it doesn't ruin the movie. It's just, it's not overly distracting, other than it works. scary movie running yeah. through your head at the same time. You know, it, as I say, it works in the context of of what the film is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 13 Ghosts is another film he's in where I, I, it's I also like, got Shannon Elizabeth in hasn't it uh, Shannon Elizabeth mind blank I know she's in Scary Movie not Scream <laughs> 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 yeah. but, but 13 Ghosts is, is again it, it it's a crap movie it's not good I recall it being quite bad but I enjoy it because it's mm. got it's got elements I like about it, mm. and that's a, that's an example of somebody just going, "Dial it down, Matt. We don't need that." And nobody's kind of done that, and so it does feel out of place in mm. that in that movie. VHS is yesterday's news. Out with the old and in with the new. You heard it here first. Betamax is where it is happening. And the only place to start your collection is the Willie Parks Betamax Parlor. We have all the greats and the hidden gems you've never heard of. Like the Crocodile Killer. Which way is west and how do I get there? And of course, the classic. And maggots ate my homework. That's just the tip of the iceberg. All you need is a thirst for the silver screen and a compatible Betamax player to enjoy everything we have to offer at Willie Parks' Betamax Parlor. You don't even need a membership, just imagination. Located opposite the little chef on the Woolworth Road, ask for Willie and you could be one step closer to Betamax satisfaction. You got uh, David Arquette, who I think he's probably the only only character and actor that I don't really like. Mm. I think we were saying before we started recording, you could take him out of the movie, you could take him out of the out of the the universe. Mm. It wouldn't really be much different. Um, I I like David Arquette. Um, I don't I, I like his character. I think he's 
again, it's too much. Dial it back. I feel... I could be wrong. It's been a long time since I've seen the sequels. I feel like they get it right later on. I feel like he becomes less dopey. I could be wrong. That's how I remember. When I was watching it yesterday, I was like, I don't remember him being this soft or this dopey. I, re- I, I thought it was vaguely more subtle than it was when I was watching it yesterday. So I could be wrong, but I think they get it closer to the mark later on. It does feel like that character is in Scary Movie. Like, the reason, obviously it's dialed up in Scary Movie, but you could take his character and just put it in Scary Movie and it wouldn't, okay, you'd, you'd lose some of the jokes with that character in that but it wouldn't feel out of place. I think as well, part of the problem I had is he looks so young. He does And yet so he's young. supposed to be seven, six or seven years, five, five years older than the rest of the... Yeah, he's playing 25, right? Yeah, so the rest how, of the I main, don't know how old the rest of them the rest are. Of the is main 18 cast? or something? I don't know. Well... Yeah. They all look 30. Yeah. For for anybody watching from an English viewpoint, you hear high school or you hear school and you think they're 16, but actually the American school system, they're in school till they're 17 and 18, Mm. which is what we would call college. Mm. So I had to get my head around that because I'm going, they're 16. Oh, no, they're not. They're they're 18, which does make a little bit of difference. But, yeah, comparing David Arquette to the rest of the cast and he looks somewhat younger than it certainly looks I think if not the same age as Skeet Ulrich and Matthew mm. Lillard yeah uh, so it's like uh, it that takes me out ever so yeah, slightly he, not massively he doesn't but, look like Rose McGowan's older brother no he doesn't at all no. doesn't at all nicely moving on we've got Rose McGowan as, <laughs> as Tatum here yeah. which was this her breakthrough role I th- yeah I think it was her breakthrough mm. role and I think Obviously, now it, you you view it knowing, you know, Bob and Harvey Weinstein, unfortunately, had a hand in this movie. Mm. It, it does sour it slightly because I, personally, I can't help thinking what kind of shit was going on behind all of this. Yeah. So... Yeah, whenever you see Miramax, Weinstein Company, anything like that at the beginning of a movie, and again, as you're saying with Rose McGowan, we now know what was going on. It's... It's such, it's so big, it is always in the back of your mind when you see Miramax or whatever, or in this, in this case, Rose McGowan. And it's, it's, it's a hard thing to move past when you're watching it. Like you say, you're, you can't help but think of the, the horrors that were probably going on behind the scenes of these movies, you know. Yeah, it's not, it's not something that, you know, you need to think about for too long. It's mm. just absolutely horrible in, in that way but again just i kind of forgot rose mcgowan was in this yeah me too yeah. it was like oh like i was looking through the imdb and it said rose mcgowan tater and i'm going who like mm. i couldn't really and then you watch and you go oh of course you know so but again i think yeah this was her kind of breakout breakout kind of film uh and i think i think that's safe to say for the v- large majority of the cast it was their breakthrough film you know, Jamie Kennedy, who plays Randy, he also had Romeo and Juliet in 96. So, big budget there, but at the same time... And a Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann, yeah. yeah. So, but at the same time, you know, you need 
you need a bit of a track record. So this was certainly, you know, helping him get on that way. Uh, and then lastly, in an almost blinking, you'll miss it role, but I think you've got to mention it because it, it, it kind of has so much emphasis on the later stages of the franchise with Liev Schreiber as Cotton Weary. He's, you see him on a TV screen That's being right. pushed into a police car, mm. but, Again, not that I don't think he was a name at the time. I always knew him as Cotton Weary until yeah. I knew his name. Yeah. You know, so is Ray Donovan in it? That's his name. That's yes, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in today's lens, it's difficult to look at it and go, "Well, hang on a minute. How is he only in it for?" Yeah, an it's a very good point because it's interesting. Because yeah, I, you, I see the senior talking about she's watching the news. He's got long hair. They yeah. shove him in a police car. He looks at the camera, and I went, "Oh yeah, Ray Donovan's in this." And then he's not in it. It's like, yes, yeah, it's a very good point. So it's he is pretty much more predominant in the later movies after. And that. I wonder how much of that was setting things up. Because I think there's an element of obviously obviously in an ideal world you want to create a big uh franchise. Well, in some things, but certainly in horror, you want to create a big franchise that can go for many iterations. Mm. So, but again, that's still a bit of a risk at that point. You could have put, you didn't even need, necessarily need to show him. But the fact that they've got somebody in and, mm. you know, again, but it's difficult. I think I'm looking at things through, through today's lens. I think you know, at the time yeah, you'd you know gone, where oh, it ended up. Yeah. Just that that's random it's, guy. It's just as, just as likely that they sat down after that it was a huge hit and said, right, what's the next, what's the next film? What threads have we got that we can pick up? Oh, we've got this character. Let's explore Cotton Weary. Yeah. yeah, and I think all of all of the characters and all of the people playing the all of the actors in here, I think it is it is a good ensemble cast. Where you know you've got the Skeet Ulrich who is not great, but it 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 kind of just about works and just about fits mm. in the context of the first film. So. I think I think they they kind of got it got it right just about. Obviously, mm. later on they bring more characters in, and they've got a bit more of bit more of a kind of pulling power behind them, so they can bring in. Is Roseanne's people. sister the second one? Is that the third? I always remember that being a, a when I saw that I'm like that's an odd choice. She's Aunt Jackie to me from Roseanne. I think now to many people she'd probably be. Sheldon's mum from the Big Bang Theory. Ah, okay. Um, I forget her name, the actress's name. I do apologise. But yeah, I found that, I thought that was an odd casting choice. But it works within the movie. Um, Diminishing returns as the sequels are. But I will, again, a bit like this movie, I'll sit down and watch the sequels when they're on. Yeah, they're they're just sort of easy. You, Mm. You don't need to think about them too much. You can put them on in the background and just enjoy it. You can drop in and out and you don't need to necessarily know what's happened before. You can kind of, oh, yeah, you very quickly know the setup. You very quickly understand what's going on. Uh, One thing that I did find out in my research of this is I mentioned the bidding war Mm. and some of the names that were kind of touted or approached so Robert Rodriguez, that would have been a, that would have taken it in a completely different direction. Uh, yeah. Danny Boyle, which at that time, 
Shallow Grave, I think, had come just come out, and that's quite a good indie kind Tra- of... Train Spotting's 96, so Shallow Grave would have been about 94, 95, yeah. yeah and yeah. that's... It's not quite a horror. It's, it's virgin thriller horror. Mm. But we know from later depictions in 28 Days Later that Danny Boyle can do it. Yeah. But at yeah. that time, not quite sure. George A. Romero was another name, which mm. I think if... It, if I think there's a there's kind of a, a nostalgia kind of feeling with George A. Romero, but in terms of any any you know, you try not to say substance right now, yeah, because <laughs> it's disrespectful. <laughs> You're not sure he would have been able, he would have handled it in the same way, though. Yeah, I, I don't think, think we'd still be talking about it if if it had been no. under his guy Sam Raimi, although it would have probably. Uh, I think it would be, I. I'm trying not to say it would have just been way more funny if Sam Raimi did it, but Sam Raimi, he leans into the the horror comedy, the comedy within the horror comedy way more than Craven did. It, I would, I would find it interesting. I again, I think you're right. I don't, not entirely sure we'd still be talking about it all these years later. I think, I think it's always difficult. You know, if we'd have seen Sam Raimi's version or any of these directors' versions, mm. then we'd probably be saying the same thing. Oh, I can't really see how Wes Craven would have done that. You know, so it's, all, point, it's, yeah. it's very difficult. But it, you know, you can kind of you can have a guess. I think, as I say, Wes Craven dances that line between horror and comedy quite well. It kind of doesn't really venture into one or the other mm. too much. It has a nice balance. I think Sam Raimi would have kind of gone a little bit further into comedy, mm. which, again, because of how self-referential it is, may have been a step too far. You may have been going, oh, yeah, we get it, you know? Yeah. So not sure if he... But again, who knows? It's a very difficult thing to kind of, kind of say. Some of the casting choices that were spoken about so uh, for this for the role of uh, Sydney Prescott, we had Melissa Joan Hart was discussed. Who, Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Yeah, I mean, I can understand. Okay. I can understand, but it, for the same reasons as what we just said with Sam Raimi, again, because we, I've only ever really seen her in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I think it may have been a step too far into that comedy element i think neve campbell plays it really well because she's plays it straight yeah yeah, she's you know she she's not the one who loves horror movies she's like i I could i could do without them Mm. you know so i think that's kind of why it works Brittany murphy was another okay another name which again at the time she was i wouldn't say hot property but she was certainly seen cruel intentions wasn't she so that would have been around this same that time was sarah as this. michelle getter i think Brittany murphy was in it as well was she i think so i know her from clueless and sin city sin city to be fair is where i first proper knew who she was it was that an eight mile yes yeah, yeah, yeah but it was one of those names i wasn't paying a lot of attention to movies around that point i think it was one of those names when people were talking about it, they like her name would come up and you was you, I should have known who she was kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not, Alicia Witt, who was in Doom Vin, and Vanilla Sky, but I I can't say I particularly recognise her that well. I don't think she's a, a household name. 
was, was going to Google it, but I can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah, I, I, as yeah. I say, I Googled it and still went, who? Nah. You know, yeah. no disrespect, but uh, if she had been in this, we probably would have been saying the same about Neve Campbell. Who knows? Yeah, this was her breakout movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Melanie Linsky, which probably, people probably most know from uh, Two and a Half Men, is the slightly kooky, crazy... Uh, the neighbour, yeah, from right from that. Again, I, I mean, to be she, I think she's having a, a real renaissance at the moment, isn't she? She's in some TV show that's doing incredibly well. Yeah, um, could I, see, I could see her as Sydney. I yeah, could see that. Yeah. I think I think it's easy to see any of the people we've mentioned so far as Sydney. I mm. think it's obviously just it, it'll always be a slightly different take uh, on that. Uh, in terms of. Uh, David Arquette, an interesting thing. He originally turned down the role of Billy, so Skeet Ulrich's character, right. in favour of playing Dewey, who at the time in the original script was a, was written much more like a leading man type role with a saviour. So if it if they hadn't have changed that that nuance, that definitely wouldn't have worked. <laughs> no. Uh, so Can you imagine. Uh, David Arquette as Billy. I can't see it. I can, but I see scary movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a guy at the time who's probably in similar kind of circles, Freddie Prince Jr., mm. uh, auditioned for the role of Stu, so Matthew Lillard's character. Again, that that could that could have worked. Mm. You wouldn't have necessarily had the over the the kind of energy that you had from Matthew Lillard's interpretation. No, would but have been very. I don't think it would have been a, necessarily a bad call. I think Freddie Prince Jr. potentially is more the, you know, the the protagonist rather than the antagonist. Yeah, he he play it in a more brooding style. I should think. Uh, in, uh, interesting uh, thing that we haven't mentioned about Billy. Surname Billy Loomis, which again is another little Easter egg to Doctor Loomis from Halloween. Of course, it is. Yeah, but again, yeah. something you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't notice until somebody points it out. Yeah, to but you. that's the thing because I heard I heard the name yesterday, and it's familiar. But I'm thinking it's familiar because this film's fifteen, six, no, I'm twenty five years old, twenty six years old yeah. now, or something, you know. But yeah, of course, it's Doctor Loomis. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many of those things in yeah, there. Yeah, of course. You, you could do a whole podcast and just that. So uh, one interesting choice I did read, which I think would have taken it in a completely different direction in a good way, Joaquin Phoenix or Jacqueline Phoenix. I never know how to say his name. I say Joaquin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was offered the role of Billy Loomis but turned it down. Hmm. Now, I think at the time, if he'd have taken that, knowing what we know now about his his ability, mm. I think we'd be looking at, you know, quite a, a lot more sinister kind of performance. Uh, maybe not massively sinister, depending on the direction, but I think it would have certainly, you know, you say you said, you know, Skeet Ulrich has that menacing look that at the right shot at the right time looks great. Mm. We could have had that consistently throughout as opposed a, a, to a really high standard of acting yeah 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 no um i think he would have nailed it yeah 100 Absol percent. absolutely uh and at, whilst we're on 
subject of casting. So Matthew Lillard, who was eventually cast as as Stu, it was purely by chance because he was dropping off his girlfriend to an unrelated audition, and the casting director of Scream happened to be, I think, going to the toilet or even to lunch or something, and just saw him and said, "You need to audition." So he auditioned, and then. It, inevitably ended up getting the role yeah. so and you hear you do hear quite a lot of stories like that of oh yeah i was just walking down the street and this happened right you know? place right time yeah. so if you're a budding actor hang around hang around <laughs> auditions you never know what might happen yeah uh and i i think some some you know some of the casting i think could be improved and it's not you know it's not a perfect piece piece of work uh but I think I think some some of that makes it a little bit more appealing. You know, it's a little bit more kind of like it's not, it's not, it's a bit campy. It's a bit, it's yeah. A, in places, it's a bit rubbish. But that's kind of what make what makes it a bit more interesting. You kind of go, oh, I kind of like that about it. You mm. know, the fact that Skeet Ulrich is a bit rubbish in this is actually kind of I'm going. <laughs> that's quite funny. I quite <laughs> like that. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. Like I say, watching it now, all these years later, I, it's impossible to separate separate out the film from the last twenty years of films. So when when I watch it now, I'm aware of I'm aware probably just as aware of the references they're making, but I'm also aware of the references that this film then became for the films that followed. So when you say you're watching it and you're kind of enjoying how bad Skeet Ulrich is in. You know where his career went after this. Do you know what I mean? You know it's not, oh, he gets better later on. Like, he's just, he's, I can't remember the last film I saw him in. Yeah, um, he's, he's tended to go more into TV. So I, right hmm. now I can hear thousands, I say thousands, hundreds of Riverdale fans just screaming at the top is of their he voices. In he's in Riverdale, it's brilliant. Uh, my wife is it. one of those people, and I will endlessly judge her for that. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen it. It's like Archie you don't need and, Archie to. Archie and Jughead in it or something. Riverdale, it's, right? It's... Yeah. Nah, not my cup of tea. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's hard. When I watch it, it's very hard to separate out all of those things. So it's it's like watching a time capsule of everyone who was in every movie for about five years in essentially their first movie. I know it's not really the case. But I'm watching it thinking, oh, David Arquette and Courtney Cox got married and had kids. People exist in this world who wouldn't have existed without this movie, you know. And then I start trying to think, like, well, I wonder how close... Because I've seen David Arquette recently. I saw that thing when he was... That wrestling program, You Can't Kill David Arquette yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. And, like, and he's, he seems... I don't want to say he's like... Uh, Dewey, because that's quite insulting, but he seems like a very laid-back kind of fella. And he married Monica from Friends, who isn't Monica in this film, so I'm wondering what, what she's like in real life, because they seem to... Obviously, they got married, so they obviously got on very well. So it's really hard for me to separate out those things while I'm watching the movie, and it's all... But it all makes it... Rather than distracting or, dis, or detracting from the movie... I kind of makes it more enjoyable in a way, you know. You're watching it going, there's like, there's another one of these movies in the cinema now. <laughs> you know, is it what we on now? Eight, I don't know, five, six. six? Yeah, Currently, yeah. I think, yeah, six is the one that's yeah, in the cinema. It's cinemas. in New York now, I think. Yeah, yeah. on yeah. a train, which 
I've heard good things, to be fair. I keep, but I keep I know meaning to get I round to go to watch it, but it I hasn't saw happened. the trailer and was like, I think it all takes place on a train. I could be wrong. But I'm like, mm, you know. Like Murder on the Orient Express, but in New York yeah. with Ghostface Killer. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> if it works, it, it works. And that's, that's exactly how I kind of looked here. But, you know, I've heard good things, and until I go and see it, I'm going to refrain from judgment. Yeah. But I know what you mean. It's that kind of, it's that legacy that you can kind of see. It's not just evidenced in film and in Hollywood. It's evidenced kind of around in, in the sense of, you know, some of the references that we have, have, you know, I know that I we quote Scary Movie all the time. It's hard. You know, we keep sp- talking about Scary Movie, but without Scream being good and without Scream being something people loved, that scary movie and that franchise doesn't hit off. Mm-hmm. That doesn't go anywhere. That all of a sudden becomes, oh, some ter- you know, not another teen movie type thing where yeah. everybody tries to do it and it's yeah. not that good. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing about scary movie, the first one especially, is it's a spoof movie in the, in the vein of Airplane those classic spoof movies like Airplane, Police Squad, that sort of stuff, Naked Gun, and it deserves its place up there. The the million and one copycat movies that came after it to ever-decreasing returns, you know, not another teen movie, etc., it's an epic movie, all of those sort of things, um, almost um, detracts from Scary Movie because I don't think Scary Movie belongs with those movies. They're terrible. Scary Movie is an excellent spoof movie up there, like I say, with Naked Gun Airplane and all those greats intertwined, as you say, with Scream. Almost impossible to separate out, especially when, as as we keep saying, when you're watching it, there's jokes running in the back of your head that aren't appearing on the screen. The one one that I I cannot get out of my head is towards the final sequence and the final conclusion when Matthew Lillard is kind of walking out the, the room and say, you know, explaining the reveal. All I see is one, I can't remember which, but one of the Wayans brothers, can't remember which one it is. I was getting confused. Uh, going, but wait, there's more! <laughs> like really over the top. And then you watch Matthew Lillard and you go, it's not actually it's, it's that much identical. over the top. <laughs> yeah. Because again, yeah. yeah. I think I, I've probably seen Scary Movie a lot more because mm. it's... It's highly entertaining. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And so that becomes what you think. And actually, you go, it's not It's not too far a detraction. I think why we hold Scary Movie in high regard is because it is a love letter to Scream, mm. much like Scream is a love letter to horror. Yeah, you know, perfect, Whereas those yeah. other, you know, ever-decreasing circle type ones mm. are... You know, all including doing, Scary Movie 3. All it's doing is just trying to crack I mean? a joke. Four. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to, we actually really love this film, mm. but we know it's, a, you know, we know there's elements that, that are funny and that's yeah. why we love it, you know? I mean, I must confess, me and my wife, your sister, um, <laughs> for those of you at home who aren't aware. <laughs> Nobody told me. <laughs> um, we watched uh, Scream yesterday and then watched Scary Movie straight afterwards. It was, it was, it was that. It's that entwined in my in both of our brains. It's probably in most people's. Watch Scream, thoroughly enjoyed watching it. And I was thinking, I really want to watch a scary movie now. And your sister went, 
I really want to watch scary movie now. I was like, done, you know what I mean? And it was watching them back to back. It was kind of confusing for this podcast, to be honest. It may have been a mistake <laughs> because you keep talking about characters and I'm like, that's Shannon Elizabeth. Oh, no, that was Rose McGowan. <laughs> you know, the, the Billy character keeps getting confused in my brain. Um, but it was fascinating to watch them back to back because, as we're saying, you see those scenes they literally pulled the dialogue, even the camera angles and everything from Scream and throw it up there and then just throw little jokes in. Like the the one, like you're saying, David Wayne's character doing the, there's more. The one that always gets me is at the very beginning where he's going about the PG movies and all that. And Dawson's head <laughs> pops up through the window. Sorry, wrong set. And walks off. I'm watching Scream, and he's talking, and it's, it's even the hand gestures going up. I was watching The Exorcist. It's the same hand gestures, and it's all there, and I'm like, I know what's coming, and I'm laughing when I'm watching Scream, but not in a, again, like I say, it doesn't detract from the movie. It's all mixed up. It's all, it's all just entertainment, and it's all, um, I guess, I don't want to say nostalgia, because I don't watch it feeling nostalgic, but it's just, it's just None of it detracts from any of it. The bad, the bad teen horror movies that followed from Scream don't make Scream a bad movie. The bad spoofs don't make Scary Movie a bad movie. The fact that Scream is lampooned so well by Scary Movie doesn't distract uh, detract from Scary from Scream. <laughs> I think. <laughs> But yeah, it's great stuff, man. I think the re the fact that we're talking about about scary movies so much is kind of as much evidence of what we're talking about as anything we could say. Mm. You know, they are so in intertwined. I think with Scream, what's what's interesting and surprising about it is that you know when you're when you're the first in movies to do a particular thing mm. and you set those tropes up very very quickly those tropes become tired and all of a sudden you know halloween for example i will always admit i find it boring af it's just oh really yeah i don't get any of the tension mm. because i've watched so many other films who have kind of gone on and done it a little bit better where Scream is not in that category. It mm. kind of sits somewhere off to the side all on its own where it can be parodied, it can be, mm. it can be you know, copied, but it ne as you say, it never detracts away from, you know, oh, well, why, you know, like I do with Halloween where I watch it and I go, well, I've seen this and I've seen it done better. And the yeah. only reason why it's done better is because this done it first, so I appreciate why it's there. It's that original but source material. But it's never a film yeah. where I go, I'm going to go and watch Halloween. No. You know, no, which I realise is kind of sacrilege for a lot of <laughs> horror film, horror yeah. fans. But yeah. No, I watch Halloween, I'm going to say regularly. Obviously not regularly, but I watch it from time to Every time. Every Friday, 9 o'clock. <laughs> but it's interesting you say it's that. So I, I saw... The Exorcist. It was always banned when I was growing up. It was never... You could, I think you could see it in cinemas. You could never get it on video. It was something like mm. that for years. Yeah. And, and I saw it in the cinema when I was... Uh, I think I was old enough to be in the cinema. I was a teenager anyway. But by the time I saw The Exorcist, I had seen people... 
like puking up green pea soup and their heads spinning and all of those spoofs of the exit. I couldn't take the exorcist seriously. When I saw it, I was just like, this movie's not scary. It's kind of creaky. It's kind of crap. And that was, it was too late. By the time I'd seen it, I had seen every joke about it done a million times. It was impossible to take it seriously. It's interesting, like you're saying, about a movie being first. So The Exorcist has that problem. It's the first and then it's Lampoon. And in Scary Movie, bring it back to Scary Movie briefly, what came out in between um, Scream and Scary Movie is The Matrix. Matrix pioneered bullet time effect thing. And they throw it in Scary Movie. And it's and it's like, oh, this is from The Matrix. You're like, it's kind of a joke within itself by accident because that special effect was in every special effects movie for five, ten years. And if I see it in a movie now, it makes me hate the movie. <laughs> I'm like, do something else. Do you know what I mean? We all liked it in The Matrix, and then we liked it maybe one or two more times after. And we went, oh, that's that Matrix thing where they slow everything down, the camera spins and everything's going in slow-mo. And then by the millionth time you've seen it, I'm like, you need, you need to have an, an original idea. And that's that power of that source material. Interestingly, doesn't detract from The Matrix, the same way it doesn't detract from um, Scream, you know? It's really difficult in Hollywood to kind of do something original. Mm. So when something is original, everybody copies it, mm. and usually not to the same effect. Or, you know, it goes either way. Either everybody does it and it's not as good, and then you end up hating that thing, or everybody tries it and realises that's actually really difficult to do mm. and it's it doesn't detract away from, from the original yeah. source thing. Do you ever need to see another Cockney gangster movie as long as you live? No. Snatch is a great movie. Lockstock's a great movie. I never need to see people go, Governor, Governor, shooter, pass me the shooter, ever, ever again. Because there were so many copies all to diminishing returns, all of them worse than the one that came before, you know? Yeah, it's, as I say, it's really it's really easy to do something somebody else has done. Mm. And, and to do and, it badly. And yeah. usually to, to not the same effect. It's mm. usually, you know, just a bad, bad, bad copy. Even, <laughs> bad movie. Yeah. Bad movie. <laughs> bad, bad even movie. Got, even Guy Ritchie, who somehow managed to... Uh, I always prefer Lockstock, but... I can see why people prefer Snatch and mm. think it's the better film. It probably is. But even since that point, you know, The Gentleman, I wanted that to be everything that the Snatch and Lockstock was. And there's elements of it. Mm. Good cameo from Hugh Grant. But it's really difficult to go, mm. oh, okay, it's it's just not, it's just not the, that same his, thing. Um King Arthur movie he did that was no, like and King I refused Arthur to because Lockstock. Yeah. I, it was on telly. I must have... I was wrapping presents, so it must have been around a Christmas a few years ago, and I saw maybe 20 minutes of it, and I, I had to turn it over. I was like, I can't watch this, you know. I saw David Beckham was cast in it, and <laughs> I thought, didn't see David Beckham in it. <laughs> he's, it he's, a, he's like a cameo he plays. All right, right, yeah. I think it's King Arthur. Oh, dear. See, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is, but he, mm. yeah, he plays like some you know, night thug thing, mm. and it's like, it's David Beckham. <laughs> like, I know you might be friends with him, but somebody needs to tell you no. Yeah. Like, 
like Guy Ritchie needs to be held on a string and said, no, you're not doing that because that's stupid. Yeah. Well, that's what's interesting though, right? I really like that first Sherlock Holmes movie he did. And that's exactly the right level of Guy Ritchie-ness yeah. you want to see in a movie. It's there, but it's dialed back, you know what I mean? No mm. one's doing Cockney rhyming slang and, you know, the cutaways aren't as intense with all the, you know, the, the moving camera angles and stuff. It's uh, just the right level. I mean, we have awfully digressed into a very different <laughs> realm of cinema. Yeah. But, yeah, no, yeah the point is kind of very difficult to do what things have done previously and to do to do them well. Yeah. So... A couple more facts, just for a little bit of context, because I think we haven't really mentioned Ghostface at all, which I think is it naturally is one of the most iconic. You know, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's it's as much as say things like Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger, but it's certainly in that conversation. I, I I disagree. I think he's up there. I think he's up there with those. It could have so easily have not worked. But it does. Mm. Like, instantly know who Ghostface is when you see him, don't you? It's instant. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very iconic in that way. I think, f from my perspective, probably because there isn't really much to it. Do you, you think know, it's there because it's a different it's, person it, behind the mask yeah, each time it, as essentially, well? essentially, it's a costume as opposed to a character. That's right, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and I think the way they found that, you know, it's referenced in the movie. So they found that mask in a local... Uh, dress up Halloween store, mm. and so and I can't. I think it was Bridget Sleaterin. I think that's how you say it. Uh, who found that mask and it was picked up by somebody who worked who was working on there, and it was originally called uh, the Peanut Eyed Ghost. Right. Uh, obviously, it looks very similar to you know Edvard Munch's Scream, mm -hmm. which is probably where they got the title from or mm. you know may just be happy coincidence that kind of fits quite well but essentially i think it's i think it's a good depiction of how those things you know a little bit like halloween that's an old captain kirk mask spray painted white Turned and the hair inside taken out, off. It? Yeah, yeah. It's inside out painted white i think you yeah. know these things which amuses me Every time I see it, and, and I annoys me when they don't use the Captain Kirk because they. You watch the later iterations; it's a different mask, yeah, you know. They, they, and I understand that, but at the same time, the fact that it's Captain Kirk when I, when I, I was a long time before I knew that pre-internet, I suppose you know what I mean. When I found that out, it was like no way. Like it enhanced my love of that character a little bit more, you know. It's. It's a really good kind of... There's lots of examples, particularly in horror, because horror comes from a position of having to make do with what you've got. Mm. You know, it's... You know, I think Jason Voorhees, it was just a hockey mask that was that was hanging around and it worked. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pillowcase <laughs> in, I think, yeah, two. I think he spends two with a pillowcase on his head and I think the hockey mask comes in at three. Yeah. A lot of these things are happy accidents or, oh, I, I happen to see this. That looks cool. Let's use that. Mm. You know, it, it's a well, lot it's more... budgetary constraints. It's yeah, all of those things. All those things that make for great things in movies. How do we do this and how do we do it cheap? Like we're saying specifically mm. with horror movies, they're usually low budget. How do we do it? 
I, I, I got William Shatner mask and painted it white. You know, those sort of yeah. things. I've got a horror... And somehow just become iconic. And like like you're saying, the Ghostface Killer mask... Yeah, that's right. Ghostface Killer mask is another one of those, you know. It's the exact opposite of, you know, six, seven people sat around a table thinking let's come up with these designs and let's have 10, 15 different versions and pick we the best one. 25 grand yeah. designing this mask. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and you don't like any of them. Let's spend another 25 grand doing the same yeah. thing. Yeah. This is just, that looks cool. Let's do that. Mm. You know, very... Uh, Organic. It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that's kind of become its own thing in and of itself, mm. you know. I mean, the Ghostface Killer himself, like you say, it's it's a costume more than it's a character. But uh, he has a sort of... Uh, a, a, a loose way about him, about his, the mannerisms. He's not the most together... He's like your Michael Myers, every move is solid and slow and methodical and works. I can't think of a, 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 a horror character before Ghostface that was, I wouldn't say useless, but not a killing machine, you know, he's, he falls over, he gets punched in the face and all of those sort of things, you know, I mean, it's my favorite scene in the movie is one of the worst scenes in the movie, which is the garage scene with Rose McGowan. And it's, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite bad. <laughs> But, like, you know, as he's throwing the bottles at him and they're exploding when they hit him. And I, I'm like, why? Like, one hits his, his, what would be his balls area and explodes. Now, I've not thrown that many bottles at people, so I don't know for sure. I'm pretty sure if you threw a bottle of beer at my balls, my balls would break before the bottle. But they're all exploded. And then as he falls over, as he's wont to do throughout the film, and his knife is so rubbery, it's wobbling. <laughs> it's like, I had to rewind it and watch it again. I was like, I gotta see that again. Um, but it's, it's, there's something about, about the character. I suppose, like you say, it's a costume rather than a character. But the character seems to me of Ghostface is not the most competent of serial killers. He falls over, he he traps, he fails. That first time he goes to the house to kill Sydney, he fails. Um, but there's there's elements of the film where I can't work out how much of it is the cat and mouse game that they're playing with her and how much of it is their own incompetence because they're high school kids learning to murder people. But that thread follows through the character for all the sequels. He's not the most competent murderer. You know? One of the things I noted down... And it may be a bit of a stretch, but I think, for me, that's what makes it a little bit more scary in the sense of Michael Myers. You see Michael Myers come in, you go in the opposite direction as fast as you can. You know what you need to do. You know, get away from him. Same with Jason Voorhees. Freddy Krueger's a bit different, but essentially your choices are run and you know exactly. With, mm. with Ghostface, I was watching it going, I could, I could take him. <laughs> and that's what makes it dangerous because because you start fighting and then going, it's 50-50. Whereas mm. if you go in the opposite direction, you've got much better kind of chance of mm. surviving. Whereas the, the people 
up until you know the last final sequence everyone who tries to kind of fight mm. gets killed mm. you know and it, i think that's what kind of makes it a little bit more kind of the re- the realistic element of it where mm. if that was just somebody down your street you'd end up getting in a brawl with them and it goes either way Mm. And that's, uh, to me, that's... You Probably know. end with me crying. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, it makes it a bit more, I wouldn't say believable, because as you say, there are elements where it's like, oh, in that same scene with Rose McGowan and she's throwing the balls and they just miraculously explode. Mm. Not only that, but he makes not one single noise about the fact that these bottles have hit him quite hard in the nether regions yeah. and you don't hear ah, or anything. It's just nothing, yeah. you know? Yeah, but again, it is that... I mean, if anything, this movie is rooted in realism for a horror movie. It's sending up the tropes. It's the serial killer. They're, they are essentially children. They're high school children. Um, or young adults, um, played by 30 and 40-year-old people, which, you know, fair enough, that's how Hollywood was then. But it's rooted in that. They, He's not competent, and that's what's new and interesting about it. You don't know at the time there's two of them, you don't know who it is for sure, but he's not the most accomplished. And that was refreshing as well. And the whole movie is based on that sense of reality. How do you make these tropes and these movies as ludicrous as it is how do you try and base that in a real sense of reality and again like you said i think that adds to the terror it's it is highly unlikely to ever happen to you (laughs) to be honest but if it did this is kind of how it might play out you know yeah it's very easy to kind of sit there and like it's telling you 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 are doing to question everything why mm. is she going upstairs as opposed to running out the door mm. but actually i think nine times out of ten people in those situations aren't going to be thinking 100 percent straight and going you yeah. know what i'm going to do this because that's the logical thing to do nah, you're going yeah, to be going yeah. fuck there's a guy with a yeah. knife they put i that, need to get out of here they put that great thing where she puts the camera in the party towards the end, and it's on a, like, 30-second delay or something. Great and narrative device there. It's Brilliant. so good, isn't it? It's so... Again, that's one of the things where I've seen it done now, mm. where you see it so much, you see, oh, the only reason they're bringing your attention to that is because they're going to do something. You know, mm. I think I've seen it numerous times. Oh, the car sometimes doesn't quite start in 10 minutes into the film. Yeah. Later on, the car's not going to start. You yeah. know, that kind of you thing. You know it, but, yeah. But again... Not necessarily the first, but just just a great way of so going. Yeah. We're going to come back to this. Yeah, you know this is going yeah. to pay off in a minute, you know. And they're watching him, uh, the character, uh, Randy? Yes. Randy, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you you know it's coming. You know they're sitting there going, and he's like, and they're watching it. And you're like, well, we know there's a 30-second delay. We know you know it. We know what's coming. But it's played so well because it, it puts it there, and you know what's coming and then when it does it's done so well i think that's the whole film is it's going it's showing you it tells you exactly what it's going to do it shows you what it's going to do and as i said earlier it says you're going to you're going to watch it you're going to enjoy it you know not a lot of films are able to do that where it telegraphs its moves so obviously and you still 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 want to stay and stick around and see what's going on whereas you go well what's the point of watching this I know what's going to happen yeah you know yeah so it's a hard trick to pull off 
so I think in conclusion, what 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 are our kind of concluding thoughts about Scream? It is the film that that changed horror, even if only briefly. Um, every movie was a scream esque scream on a boat, scream on a scream literally on a train. Now you know, um, often imitated, never bettered, um, even by the sequels. You know, um, the TV show. I actually quite enjoyed the Netflix TV show. Take took it with a pinch of salt. It's not the movies. Nothing is. Nothing is this movie. Um, it, it literally, I, I kind of feel like almost every horror movie that came after it, no matter what genre of horror, I feel like it owes a debt to Scream to some degree or another. And there's, it feels like there's, I, wanna go, I don't want to overstate it, but it feels like there's before Scream and after Scream. It really does. The slasher movie genre was tired. May not have been dead, but it was tired. And it breathed new life into it. The way that, as we're saying, some movies can. Danny Boyle made zombies go fast. That was interesting. How had no one ever thought of that before? Then everyone did it, and we all went, can we have slow zombies again? You know? And Scream is, again, it's it's up there with that. It's It changed things, in some cases permanently, you know? And spoof movies, probably all those bad spoof movies, is all Scream's fault as well. Absolutely. If... You know, if you've ever if you've ever been on a date or you've ever watched a horror film horror film at home with a loved one or anything, mm. it's because of this film. I, you know, not being around, I don't know, but horror films I don't think were quite 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 there in terms of being the go to if you want to just have an easy easy Friday night date night type thing. I yeah. think I think Scream is to the nineties what Halloween was to the 70s and what uh friday the 13th was to the 80s exactly you know? yeah I, th- I was about to say i think it's as you were saying i, was, I think it's generational do you know what i mean you have the 70s version you have the 80s this was the 90s and into the noughties version of the of that is that horror movie that brought people to the cinema on a date i mean it's a bit cliche to say so but it's true it became entertainment beyond being scary you know and i think even now like we're st- you know i don't think they're, they're they're doing a lot of horror movies like halloween anymore mm. i don't think they're doing a lot of horror movies like friday the 13th like well, they keep trying Elm to Street. reboot them yeah badly yeah but there are still so many films like screen Mm. It's that, and maybe it's because of the amount of time that's passed. Mm. TV shows as well. Mm. But I think it's because it is so... It is just such an easy kind of formulaic Mm. approach where you can just kind of insert different things. Everything is kind of interchangeable, Mm. uh, which, again, is kind of, you know, uh, isn't a detriment to Scream. And if if anything, it's kind of a, a testament to how how it got so much right. Mm. You know, as I say, it's not, not a perfect film. That is so it. adaptable. Yeah. Is speak like you say, speaks to its strengths. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think I actually think it's one of the underrated films where I don't think it gets enough talk about it. It's I, easy to dismiss Scream. Yeah. Anything th- that is that popular, mainstream, it's so easy to just dismiss it. Oh that, that. 
the movie. We've seen all that before. Mm. So, no, you've seen it all since. Yeah, you've seen it before, but not like this. There's very few, like you were saying, there's very few original ideas. There's a lot of someone will come along with something and then you'll get versions of it. Um, this was an original idea. That, that, that famous trope of why do people in horror movies always act like they've never seen a horror movie... Here it is answered for the first time that I'm aware of, at least the first time in a mainstream way. Wes Craven and the screenwriter. Um, so here you go, here's the answer to that. Not only are we going to answer, not only are the people in this film, not only have they seen horror movies, they're going to tell you about the horror movies they've seen throughout the film. We're going to explain what is about to happen, what is going to happen, and why it's happening whilst doing it, and as you say, still making it entertaining. And that is not an easy trick to pull off in any shape or form. You know? It's very easy to to get wrong. Very easy. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually think that... I, this is going to sound a bit jarring when I say this, but I actually think it's probably one of the most iconic, forgettable movies in that because of what's come after it and because of, as, you, as we've been saying, it's so interchangeable with different things, people forget about Scream. They, they go... Until you actually point out, have you seen Scream? Or, again, a little bit because of Scary Movie, where have you actually seen what that parodies? Mm. People go, oh, yeah, I, I haven't seen that in years. Mm. And then you watch it and go, that's great. You know, mm. it's, not, it's not something where you're going to get lots of enthusiasts going, I tell you what, we, you know, like Halloween is revered. Everybody knows about Halloween and everybody yeah. talks about it in a certain way. And again, probably because of the amount of time that's passed, maybe, maybe you know, 20 years ago, we would be having this conversation about Halloween like we're having now in the yeah. sense of people are kind of forgotten about it. Maybe, you know, maybe these things are cyclical. Mm. Uh, I think that's the right word. Goes in cycles. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Uh, anybody listening doesn't, but that's not the point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you say secular. I'm like, what was he had a fish hook in? No, that was scary movie. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually mentioning the stab franchise. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it's it, it's it's at that stage where, and again, that's probably because the see, now it's starting to get spoken about a bit more because mm. we've got the the newer films kind of. Well, the fact out. that they're still bankable movies, like. I, I text you, was it last week, wasn't it? And I said, oh, this, this is a new Scream movie. Yeah, out. Yeah. I think I'm going to go watch it. Turns out I haven't got round to it. But the fact that that movie came out and I didn't go, oh, no way. I went, much like you, okay, I, I'm willing to go see what that's like. It's on a train, apparently. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I'm willing to go take a chance on that movie. And that speaks to the strength of a movie that's nearly... 30 years old, 26 years old, whatever it is now, uh, like that you can bring out. I mean, in the age of reboots, what do they call them? Reboots, uh, they remakes, reimaginings. Uh, re reimaginings, yeah, remakes. They mentioned it in the last Scream movie, didn't they? Oh, this is the age of the reimagining or something like that. And they start breaking down modern cinema tropes of remaking movies. And you go, that's clever. I don't know if you need a whole movie to do it, but you wrap that up in Scream, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch people getting stabbed whilst you're deconstructing how Hollywood makes movies in the 21st century, you know. Great stuff. And there's an element where, 
I think it might have been Tarantino who said this, but whenever you watch a film, you're always trying to get back to the point when you first watched that film. And I think for a, for a franchise, I think that kind of compounds again, whereby every iteration you have, you're trying to get back to that point of why it that, started a franchise. That lightning in, in a bottle, though, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And again, it's very, very difficult to do. Friday the 13th had some awful films. You know, I think part three, which was in 3D. Is that the one with... Corey Heyman, no, Corey Feldman. No, I think that's part. Is that four, four it's three maybe. or four? I, I watched them all. Me and your sister. It sounds weird when I say it. me and my wife. Me and your sister watched those movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds weird. It's like me and your mum or something. You know, uh, yeah, we watched them all. They were all on, um, I think, on Prime, and we started at one, and we watched nearly. I think we gave up around five. I could be wrong. It just got. It's too much. I don't think we made it to Manhattan. Jason X, though, I could watch that all day long. Such That's, a good movie. You know, that, and, and I, yeah, it's that you're always trying to get back to that point. Mm. And even franchises which are much more revered and probably are at a level where people talk about them in such a way mm. haven't been able to do it. Yeah. I, you know, I think four's pretty forgettable. I can't really remember a lot about Scream 4. But I think, you know, they're not all great films. You know, nothing's at the level of what the first is. No. But two and three, they're not outright awful films. It's They're not, they're not they're, good. However, I do kind of see them as the set, those first three. Yeah. If I watch the first one, apart from the need to go watch Scary Movie, I am then thinking, I'm going to watch two and I'm going to watch three within the next week probably. Because I just, it feels like the conclusion of the story. Whether they're as good is debatable. I, well, maybe it's not debatable. I don't think they are, neither do you. But the, they belong together, those first three movies. Um, I think, I, I can't remember. I think the second one's all right. And I think the third one's probably quite bad. I'd have to sit down and watch them again, though. So I can't remember which one it is where they actually go to Hollywood. I think that's three, but it might be two. One of them's got. Jay and Silent Bob in, right? Yeah, I think that might be three. I think that's yeah. three, yeah. I think two, we see that the franchise comes Stab out. Stab comes and out, they, yeah. And they go to, because yeah. that's the opening sequence of the second that's one, they go to the cinema and everybody thinks, yeah. you know, everybody does, a, ironically, a Will Smith and Chris Rock yeah. with Jada Pickett-Smith going, is this all part of the show? Is it Jada Pickett-Smith? Jada Pickett-Smith is the, the one who stands on the stage because she's covered in blood going, nah, yeah, you and know. Yeah, and they were like, whoa, it was in great. Scary Movie yesterday. It's all confused in my yeah. brain. But yeah, yeah. All right, interesting. And I, yeah, I think three yeah, is yeah. the one where you go, they go to Hollywood and people are making it and you yeah. see all of that kind of side of it. Which, again, is pretty... I've seen things do that. And not that I'm saying Scream 3 done it particularly well, mm. but it was certainly a, okay, this is quite new. We've not seen this all the time. I know we saw it slightly with A New Nightmare. Because yeah, isn't uh, three, they've got her house on a yes. Hollywood set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes into a house. Yeah. Very Freddy Krueger-esque dream sequence yeah. kind of uh, trippiness to yeah, it, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, but again, I will watch this. That's the te a testament to the first one. I just watched it. Mm. I've just watched Scary Movie and I'm going to watch two and three within uh, the week. Yeah, you know? it's, it's... And I think the good thing about them is that they're, you know, they're pretty 
sh- you know, sh- short-ish films there. You know, hour and 40, I think, is Scream 1, mm. which is, I, all, you know, 90 minutes, I think, is is almost uh, the perfect kind of size for a film. Unless Unless you, you, you want to hunker down. Yeah. But, you know... If I you, agree. 90 minutes is about... Sweet yeah, spot for a certainly movie. the yeah. perfect kind of film for a date. You don't want to, you know, you don't you don't want to take a date to a three hour, you know, yeah, a film snooze so, fest, yeah, slow burner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's it's kind of perfect, and I think they're all around that kind of, they're all around that that duration. Mm. So you can kind of, you know, you can watch you can watch all three of them in a day in an mm. afternoon. Uh, yeah, well, I would say for for further watching for this, it's the next two, the screen two and three. I would watch, um, obviously, scary movie. Um, definitely, I know what you did last summer. Probably the, um, I would say the closest out of all of those, that era of movies that comes to Scream is the um, Final Destination movies. There's something about those movies. They have it as well. It's obviously the the kill scenes are what make those movies. Ironically, I think they start getting really good around two. Um, but I think, yeah, if you like the first Scream, check out the other two. Definitely check out Final Destinations, uh, that, that series of movies. I think they've got... It's a different movie from Scream, but I think they have that same... I guess lightning in the bottle. They have that same thing. There's something about those movies. If they're on, I will watch them. You know, goes goes without saying. But you know, any other film by Wes Craven is going to be, you know, along the similar sort of lines. Mm. Uh, you're, you're probably going to find something to enjoy with them. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, well, again, it's almost like the scream of the 2000s, but Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods is a good movie. Which again yeah. is another film that at the time everybody was raving about it and I think everybody started to, sh- you know, in the past, well, two years since it was released, mm. nobody talks about Cabin in the Woods anymore. No, that's right. Yeah. And I think it, it, five years' time it's going to get to that point where perhaps we're talking about it in the same breath as that's Scream. Point, yeah. Because it does, essentially, it does a lot of the same things. It goes, you know those tropes that you like about horror films or dislike about horror films? Here they are. And now we're going to flip it, and now we're going to do something different yeah, with it. Yeah, uh, that's and, f- a good and, f- and for that, we won't give any spoilers. <laughs> if, you, if you've not yeah. seen it, go see it. It's cer- certainly you know a good hour, hour, yeah, and, so, hour and forty of your time. Where yeah, yeah, it's time well spent. Yeah. yeah, and as I say, I second the know what you did last summer again. It's all that kind of you know. I think as well another one which is kind of has its has its foot in both camps of being a bit like Halloween and being a bit like Scream is It Follows, which is a slightly, I think, 2011. Uh, I'm trying to think, yeah. Essentially, that, that one is about a... It's about a entity or creature or thing, shall we say. It's not really... It doesn't really go into much depth. It doesn't need to. Mm. That will follow and kill the last person you've had sex with so <laughs> simple as that really but again it's that teen kind of thing yeah and it you know it follows some of those halloween tropes where it's kind of slow plodding 
lingering, but it does it in a slightly different way. And it, mm. you know, again, it's like a, it's like the next step on where they're taking those bases that, like Scream did, it took Halloween and goes, we're going to do this slightly differently. Like Cabin in the Woods has done it and kind of dialed it up to eleven. Mm. This has kind of gone. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go back to basics, but still do something slightly different. Yeah. So that's definitely worth a watch as well. More frightening than Frankenstein. More mesmerizing than the mummy. Bury our bones with not your average podcast. So that was Bury Our Bones with Scream. We hope you had an enjoyable time listening. We certainly had a good time putting it together for you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you fancy, leave us a comment below. forget to like and subscribe and if you fancy leave us a comment in the comments below <laughs> that'll be my uh, professional actor training <laughs> it's really not